Hi, we're the Fantasy Football Fanatics. My name is Duncan and this week I'm joined by Matt in London, Andy in Oakland and Gary in Santiago. Welcome back, guys. I think this is season five for us now, so we're doing pretty well. We're approaching our 100th episode. We didn't quite make it by the end of last season. We crawled to the finish line, but we're going to make it this season. And let's kick off with our football moments of the summer. Matt, do you want to kick us off? Um, yeah, well, I, mean, I think it'd be remiss not to mention a certain uh, international football tournament that England did very well in. Um, and so my football moment of uh, the Euros was definitely uh, England beating Germany uh, in the knockout stage. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know we lost the final in the end, but my God, that was just a beautiful moment when Sterling put the ball in the back of the net and you just thought, we've got this. We're actually going to win. We're going to knock out a major international side in a knockout round of a tournament for the first time. I think I, since I can remember, basically, um, I can't think of the last one we actually did properly. So that was that was amazing, um, and made all the better by uh, Muller then. Sorry, Thomas Muller then missing a, a minute or so later. Uh, I actually I, I believed then. I believed, and we came so close. But that was that was probably the the most joy I had in the whole Euros. That was the moment, that Muller moment, wasn't it? The whole world seemed to slow down. And I was convinced he'd scored. And there was an error because he seemed to just slot it. I was convinced he'd equalised. And then the ball kind of bounced back out off the billboards or whatever. And I was like, he's missed. How has he missed? Yeah. And the game was so even, well, even slash Germany, maybe slightly on top is what it felt like. And then then Sterling scored. It was just so electric. Suddenly the whole move from the very beginning. It's like, oh, oh, something special is happening here. And Sterling was on fire that tournament, and yeah, it's just a, a brilliant goal. And yeah, it's uh, we'll go down in history for England uh, because we've just never, never quite achieved something so great for such a long time. Yeah, and he's on a roll, isn't it? Semi-finals, final but loss. So next year we're going to win the World Cup, aren't we? Going to go the final step. Yeah, if we could just avoid scoring early. Uh, that would be that would be really do. good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, very. Going early. ahead is the, the worst thing we could possibly do. It appears. Yeah, keep our fullbacks very deep in the next final of the World Cup. Um, Gary, <laughs> how, Gary, how about you? Well, I, th- I mean, I, I wanted to talk about the same really. The Euro. I was like, I, I thought it was, it was quite un-English in a way that until the final, it was actually kind of control of most of the games. We seem to be really. It's usually kind of blood and thunder, kind of against the odds, and then losing on penalties. But we seem to control pretty much every game um, until the final. That's the first time we lost control. Um, but my other my other part of the Euros, the standout part, was the emergence of a new a new hero, um, and that's yourself, Duncan. You're playing in goal for England all this time, we never knew. <laughs> now, now that, now that Pickford has grown his hair a little bit and grown into his face, he, he, he looks like a dead ringer for our Duncan. And <laughs> he was the hero of the tournament in many ways. The way he kind of G's himself up and the way before that penalty from, um, like the last penalty from Italy, he was like, ah, no Virginia. problem, no problem uh, from, from Jorginho. Yeah, he, he, I kind of like the way that he's, he's constantly kind of fired up and shouting at himself. So I think if you can bring that same energy to chairing this podcast, Duncan, we'll be yeah, good. <laughs> I definitely bring similar vibes. I think I, I like I like to G you guys up and I also have random panic moments where I run out of goal and <laughs> try and head it but miss it and swinging all over the place. So yeah, enjoy that this season. Um, Nobody celebrates a, a save quite like Jordan Pickford. So maybe if you could celebrate some of your some of your stronger moments in the same way. <laughs> scream, <does>. scream <laughs> the microphone. Okay, yeah, I will do. Um, I think my my highlight was also kind of Euros based, but it was more about the way that I uh, the way that I watched it this year, or. Because of the when you said the way I, I thought I thought you were going to go, <laughs> you go fully embrace the. When I, I saved two penalties when I made that in, the save final. in the semi-final. <laughs> now I can reveal I am Jordan Pickford. Um, <laughs> no, it was the way that I way that I watched it, and we couldn't really go out. I think we were still kind of in lockdown around here, and also you guys are all over the world. You know, we are the most international FPL pod. Um, we've got Chile. We've got. Um, America, we've got Japan, we've got uh, Manchester. So we're covering the world. So it was so nice to 
uh, we've all got into the vibe of streaming and FaceTiming and all that stuff. So um, we got on video calls and watched the games and made sure our streams were at the same time. So no one was celebrating goals before others. And yeah, it was just nice to watch football together again. And it was awesome. It was like, we never thought of doing that before, but now it's possible. And I very much enjoyed watching Andy wake up in Tokyo at 3 a.m. in the morning before work and join a call with us and other friends drinking beers at 6 a.m. So, yeah, that was my highlight. How about you, Andy? Well, that was very much a highlight. I, I'm sure I remember some of it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> as, as you just mentioned, I've, uh, I've moved to Tokyo and since the last season. and um, with the Olympics being on right now, Japan are doing quite well in the, in the men's football. And uh, so my wife and I were, were sitting watching the game against New Zealand the other night. And it was a classic Japan performance in which they absolutely annihilated a New Zealand team that kind of looked like they had to borrow half the team from the rugby team. They were all just like massive players with no foot coordination at all. Um, so they, they annihilated this, uh, this New Zealand team nil-nil. <laughs> went into extra time and they, they missed like three guilt edge chances in extra time and somehow this game ended on penalties um and the uh it went down to sort of the, the, the the final the final kick and just the feeling of like watching the sort of the nation that i'm living in like overcome this hurdle for themselves as well my wife was going crazy celebrating so um yeah that was that was last night the night before one of those two um, and so Japan are now in the semi-finals and on on for a, an Olympic medal in football, which is kind of a turn up for the books. Who's who's the star players? Well, the star player is um, you might know uh, Kubo, who plays for Real Madrid's youth team. Um, he's now nineteen, twenty years old, something like that, and he's by miles the best player. Um, like every time he gets the ball, something special happens. Um, and around him, they've got a, uh, a, a PSV Eindhoven player called Richard Doan, who's pretty good. Um, and the worst player by miles is their left back, Hatate, who is a really attacking left back and has a real knack for like just messing everything up as soon as he gets into the opposition half. Not just like not just like messing up a little bit, but like really, really hashing it up, like comically bad. So that's that's how obviously they managed to not win that game in normal time. Awesome. I love how you get the left backs the worst player. It's like a, it's like weekend Saturday, Saturday Sunday league football where you've just put your worst player left back <laughs> to try and hide them. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, the reserve left back seemed really good when he came on. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll run run everyone through what we're going to do in this podcast. So this is becoming a bit of a tradition in pre-season instead of going through every single team in the league and talking about some of the teams that are not that interesting from an FPL point of view we're picking a couple of teams each that we are interested in from an FPL point of view and it could be that they're going to be really good it could be that they're going to be really bad um, and picking out some players to talk about as well so we're going to take it in turns and I think first up is going to be Matt Matt, which team have you picked to talk about first? Um, so, being achingly predictable as a Man U fan, I thought I'd choose my own team, Man United. Uh, partly because, well, uh, partly because I know a lot about them and their players, uh, and obviously they're quite famous. But equally, I do think there's some interesting fantasy assets, and their fixtures at the start of the season are quite good. So, I think there's definitely some temptation to put some of them in for the for the first games um, before everyone plays their early wild cards. Um, so, if we start at the back in goal, uh, it sounds like Henderson might be first choice. Uh, and so, if that gets properly rock solid confirmed, then a five million Man U defend uh, goalkeeper is quite quite a nice way in potentially. Um, a bit tempting compared to some of the price of a goalkeeper. That's half a million cheaper than um, uh, Martinez, like the top most most popular pick so far. Then the defenders are all about five and a half. We haven't seen the price yet of Varane, but I'm guessing if Shaw, Maguire and Wan-Bissaka are all five and a half million each, then he'll come in at five and a half as well. Um, and I think Shaw is the most popular pick in the game at the moment. And I don't think that's just because of his uh, scoring in the Euro final. I think it's partly that, because um, at the moment that the team selected by percentage is a lot of like uh, non-fantasy specialists, just people like uh, picking on sort of emotions and 
and not knowing how the, the game properly works. But he had a really good season last year. And so I think he's probably going to pick up some clean sheets and some assists and some goals. Uh, I think Juan Pesaka is almost as good a pick because he's a bit of a bonus point magnet, um, just because he's really good at tackling and that, that counts for the bonus point system. Um, and then Maguire will play every game and might get a head or two from corners. So uh, another solid sort of set and forget type pick. Um, so I think there's definitely worth thinking about Man United defenders at five and a half million. That's, that's quite a good price back, I think. Um, and then Fernandez is now his proper price. He's been like bargain for like last season, but 12 million is about, about right. Uh, but even then, uh, I think he's going to score enough points to, he's in my current, my current draft of the team. Cause I think good early fixtures and just Fernandez just every week seems to get a return. So, uh, I think that's a fantastic pick. And then Sancho, the new signing is nine and a half million, which is I think it's that teasing sort of price where I always start the season. Like I tell you guys, start of the rule, like never, never pick a player who's just moved clubs or like the new, new hot transfer in. I mean, uh, Timo Werner was the classic one last season. Like, oh my God, look at his price. He's going to absolutely smash the league. And um, then he just never scored any goals. And um, I'm trying to stick to that principle of not picking Sancho. But at the same time, I'm quite excited by Sancho. I think that could be a very good price. So he might he might make the final cut. Um, and then other ones in midfield, I think, are really interesting. So I, I've said it for a couple of seasons now, but I think Greenwood might nail down a place uh, he is our young, hot prospect. Seven and a half million could turn out to be a really good price. I wouldn't go for early doors, but I think it's definitely one to watch in that space. Um, Cavani, eight and a half. I think that's too much to put in your team. But last season, he was quite a good fantasy asset in the fact that he goes on runs of form. And so you sort of know when to pick him and put him in your team. So don't don't pick him when he's, well, uh, either been benched or needs a bit of a rest or just not scoring. But He'll go on like a patch of five games where he scores every every week. And so I think he's one of those players you can maybe get in selectively across the season. He could be a really good pick for that. So that's my basic rundown of Man U. But uh, welcome, welcome thoughts of others. I was going to ask you about um, Jesse. Back at Man United, 7 million points per game last season matched, I think, Fernandez. Okay, he didn't play as many minutes, but he was on fire, wasn't he, at, the, at West Ham? Yeah, I mean, I think I wouldn't be surprised if he does leave before the season starts. Uh, like, I think if he does stay, then I, I I don't quite see him breaking into the first team regularly. So I, I don't see him as a good pick, but I could be wrong. But Solskjaer usually picks his first 11 and then almost every week picks those same 11, 11 players. And um, Rashford's injured at the moment. Uh, he's just just had some surgery, but... When he's back and you've got Sancho back, uh, you've got Fernandez in the middle. I, I can't see where Lingard really fits in in the, in the first eleven, to be honest. I, I was more thinking, you know, Rashford's now going to be out for three months with the shoulder surgery. His position, you know, on that kind of forward left wing seemed to be the same position Lingard was playing for West Ham. I just thought, oh, maybe start of the season. Yeah, I think start of the season, though, I'd, I, I would suspect that Martial, Greenwood... Um, maybe even sometimes James would be would be in there ahead of him. Um, I, I I I just think the fact that we sent him out on loan and he was nowhere near the first team. He did really really well at West Ham, but he'll have to do some to to both break into the team and then keep that first eleven spot. So I think even if he does really well and gets in the team, I don't see him being a regular starter. Yeah, I'd be really surprised so. if um, if the wingers weren't Greenwood and Sancho for that first game. Like and if I and unless one of them does something really bad or gets injured, like it's not going to change until Rashford comes back. I don't think. You mentioned Greenwood. I think he is a really good pick. Um, certainly for the start of the season. I think in the long run you'll see him rotated with Cavani because Cavani's not going to be able to play all of every game at that age. But um, I think at the start of the season, um, the wingers obviously Sancho is going to be obviously going to be first team, and Greenwood is like the most senior remaining winger, so he's going to start all the games until Rashford's back. I think. So you think Cavani, when he's rested, Greenwood might get up more time up front than he did last season, or at least while Rashford's out. Yeah, well, I think it's going to be. I, I wouldn't pick either of them later on in the season because I think you're going to see whichever one gets sixty minutes, the other one will get thirty, and it's going to be like that all the time. 
um, because Solskjaer doesn't sort of vary by match, right? As Matt said, he just plays the same team every game, makes the same substitutions every day, every game. I think that's going to be one of them. Okay, so he might be in, in our teams early on then, Greenwood. Is he? Yeah, it's a risk, but it can be a good differential. He's only, he's only he's got, he's selected by right now is 3.3%, so it could be a great differential. Yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend starting in first game unless the team sheet's going to be revealed ahead of time because um, uh, it, it does depend on whether he nails it down at the start. But I think he's definitely one of those where if you see him score a goal and look like he's going to nail down a place, then he might be one to jump on quite quickly. The goal, the goalkeepers. What you're saying about Henderson is really interesting because, you know, I remember him playing for Sheffield United, being on fire with the save points. He's 5.0 ownership under five percent. It could be Man U starting keeper with Varane joining, you know, in a really solid-looking unit. I mean, is yeah. that crazy? You know, looking at the stats for the keepers last season, not not massively high scoring for Man United, not a huge amount of clean sheets. Yeah, and if you look at the price points for goalkeepers in the round, like I think Martinez is five and a half. Uh, he was top scoring keeper last year. Uh, I think he was anyway. Uh, he was, and, yeah. Yeah. So I think he's got some nice early fixtures. So maybe you do that if you're doing an early world card. But but really, you want to save money at goalkeepers, especially for the start of the season. Um, Schmeichel's attempt to at five million, but uh, again, if you could get Henderson, Man United starter for the same price, that's I, I think Man you have a tendency of letting in silly goals, but I still think that's quite a good, quite a good option. Um, maybe think, you go, maybe you go Henderson at five, and instead of going with a 4.0, you say, I'll, I'll have a 4.5 backup. So if Henderson isn't you know solid first team, then I've, I've got some security. Yeah, Here's an interesting yeah. one. You could, uh, for, for week one, pick both De Gea and Henderson, and then in week two, double set, like take a four point hit to get rid of and save a million to then whatever, whoever you want to get in for week two, based on whatever happens in week one, you could get your million from there to upgrade. That's your, that's your bank, basically, is the goalkeepers. Yeah. Could do yeah. that. I mean, I just, just to pour cold water on this, I, I feel like De Gea, I just looked him up, he's only 30. I mean, he's lost a bit of form, but surely he's going to play at least some of the matches this season. I think, it, I think again, from what Matt said earlier, though, like whoever, get, whoever nails it down at the start of the season, it's theirs to lose for the rest of the season, right? So I think um, whoever starts that first game is likely, unless they have a, make it, like, drop a massive clanger, is going to be there for the foreseeable. And there's also the the new modern thing where one keeper plays Champions League or Europa League, the other one plays and, and FA Cup games, the other one plays League, potentially. There is a suspicion he could become the cup keeper and that we'd, we'd love to ship him out if possible, but no one will take him because of his wages. Hmm. Well, yeah. I, just, I just remember us all talking about Martinez being the starting Arsenal keeper last season and uh, where well, he turned out to be a fantasy football superhero but not not for arsenal he should have been the starting keeper that's what i was saying and i was right <laughs> and now we can't have him back and we're bidding for the sheffield united keeper 30 million i mean let's let's move on before i cry um, <laughs> any more questions for matt on man united okay over to you gary with a completely different end of the spectrum brentford yeah, so I usually try and cover the promoted teams because I get to see a bit of them over the, the course of the championship, although uh, not for much longer as I'll be, <laughs> be watching a lot of League One this year. Uh, so, yeah, Brentford, I think, are quite an interesting team, a lot more interesting than um, Watford, who were probably the most boring team ever to get promoted, and Norwich, who were quite exciting, actually. They were the standout team, but I think they were a bit... Um, they're they're They've made a few new signings, but I think fans of the Premier League will know Norwich's squad quite well. Um, so Brentford is something a bit new. And they will be aiming to be like the Leeds United this season because they play kind of really good football. Um, they're quite a data analytics-driven team, so a bit different to Bielsa. But kind of it, it's led them to a similar position that they, they try and play quite a high tempo they play um, kind of a 4-3-3, which turns into a 4-5-1, I guess, more often than not in the in the Premier League, as I'll have to do a bit more defending. Um, 
and they've got a real mix of nationalities. They've picked up some kind of like gems from the lower leagues or from from internationally. Um, so, yeah, just to pick out a few. I mean, the first one I'd draw your attention to with Brentford is Ivan Tony. Um, so he's at 6.5 million. I think a lot of people will be um, kind of talking about Tony and looking at him because he basically he scored 33 goals in the championship last season. Also got 10 assists. Uh, he was almost ever present. And he's also the penalty taker for Brentford. Um, so he's got a lot going for him. He's p- potentially could be the, the Bamford of this season. Um, he leads the line really well. He's tall. He's physical. He's good in the air. Um, and he's got all the attributes you need to be that kind of centre forward in a 4-5-1. Um, so if Brentford do well, I think it'll be Tony banging the goals in. Um, so I definitely think about him. Um, then, as I say, they play this kind of 4-3-3 formation. So what you've also got is uh, Brian Embuemo, um, who plays as one of the wing forwards. And he's only 5.5 million. So I think he might be a bargain in there um, as someone who could kind of do a job as your kind of bargain midfielder. Because he's not really a midfielder. He's more of a wing forward. Um, and last year he got eight goals and 10 assists and played virtually every game. So I think he he's only 21 as well, so he's still getting better. Um, he, from my memory of him, he misses a few chances, but he's one of those players who gets in the right positions and um, makes those chances. That The other midfielder you might want to keep an eye on um, is Sergi Kanyosh. Um, he doesn't... He tends to sometimes start on the bench, but he's kind of like the creative central midfielder who, again, chips in with a few assists and, again, is is just 5.5 million. Um, then just as a unit, I think their defence might be quite interesting because they're all f- 4.5 million. And as I say, they're quite a good, well-drilled team, so they might be quite difficult to break down. Um, so they've the the one of the back four I'd pick out is probably Rico Henry, who's a really good left back. Um, he bombs on quite a lot. He didn't score many goals or get many assists last season, but he's certainly involved in their play quite a lot. Um, then the other, the centre back uh, Pinnock, Ethan Pinnock, is the guy who kind of heads everything and tackles everything for them. So he's the one that might get a few bonus points if if they do kind of carve out a nil nil and. Alongside him, they've just signed a new centre-back called Christopher Ajer uh, from Celtic. Um, big Norwegian bloke. Um, so again, but if, if I was going to go for a defender, I'd actually go for the goalkeeper, David Raya. Because uh, he's probably going to make a lot of saves. And he's only 4.5 million. But I, I do think Brentford are quite an interesting, quite well-balanced team. And they might surprise one or two people this season. Um <laughs> Is that yeah. their thing? Are they, rather than Leeds, who are kind of attack, 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 is Brentford's ethos about balance? They're not a team who's just going to go out attack when they're not a Watford who's just going to sit back and defend. They're going to try, they're going to try and play football. Um, so it didn't work for Norwich the last season they came up. I think Norwich might do a better fist of it this year, but it's the same. They, they, won't, they, won't, try, they won't be trying to get like 20% possession and hang on. They will be having a go. They will be trying to win the ball and to, to pass it around. Um, that's, that's the way they play. Um, so a bit like Leeds often got, I mean, Leeds, it was the distance covered. I think they're quite good for distance covered as well. But possession wise, I think they're, they're quite a, um, they're, they're quite a dominating team possession wise. They try to, they try to control the ball. And without that, do you think they have a defence to rely on or is it very much the same as Leeds? If they're, you get through the press, you're in on goal. Um, oh, I didn't see much of their defence supporting Wednesday last season, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, they, they beat us, um, us 3-0 at home, they beat us 5-0 at home the year before, and they beat us 2-1 at Hillsborough. So I haven't seen much of their defence. I think Raya is a bit erratic in goal. He's, got a, he's probably got a clangor in him. Um, he certainly did in the playoff final a couple of years ago. Um, but I think it's quite a well-drilled defense. I think I think I think they might, if they don't do a Leeds, they might do like a Huddersfield the year before when they Huddersfield came about fourteen and they surprised a few teams along the way. Uh, I, I think that's what Brentford might do this year. 
I think that's a good shout because Huddersfield definitely tried to play a bit of football, didn't they? Yeah, it's just, I, I guess the, the, the challenge for them is that it, the teams will be so much more clinical. So if they're trying to keep possession of the ball, if they lose, it, as you say, these fast counter-attacks and the likes of Salah and Mares bearing down on you. But I, I think it's quite a good way to play against your kind of Crystal Palace um, sort of teams in the mid-table that just, yeah, that, that, that are a bit passive and West Ham or whoever. And I, I think Brentford might, yeah, there might be a few bargains there. Are you going to have Ivan Tony in your team, do you think, Gary? I think so at the moment. I mean, 6.5 is not quite as cheap as um, some of the others who've come up. I mean, the other the other kind of striker who might take people by surprise a bit is Puki for Norwich, because I think he did it two years ago. And uh, I think everyone will think he's kind of old news now. But, I mean, Norwich still play quite good football and Puki is still the, the main striker. So... Uh, it's either Pookie at six million or Tony at six point five. I think for me. Nice. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to jump in next and go with Spurs. Spurs are my team. They're not my team. What am I saying? I'm an Arsenal <laughs> fan, but they're my first team of interest. Um, I just think they're interesting for the price that you could get them at. I think they're all potentially if they they seem to you know gel under. Um, Nuno, they could be a bargain. I think starting in defence, Doherty, um, he's reunited with his manager who brought him up with Wolves, um, didn't do much last season under Mourinho, um, but in the two seasons previously with Nuno at Wolves, four goals both seasons and eight assists or seven assists in the season previous to that. So 160, 144 odd points. Five million. Um, there's been talk in preseason that Nuno is looking at back three and that he's trying to um, get hold of more centre backs through the transfer market. So Doherty back in a back three and a wing back with a bit more freedom to roam and, and less need to kind of defend would be pretty exciting. And Nuno can set up the team to play how he knows Doherty needs to receive the ball. Um, Shame to see Toby Alderweireld leaving because those kind of long rate, raking passes in a back three I thought could have been really helpful, but maybe he's just a, a little bit too old for Nuno now. Um, the team, the guy who I've seen in more teams though than Doherty, Doherty seems kind of fairly forgotten and his ownership is really low, is uh, Reggion on the left-hand side. I guess there's potential that there's less competition if they do play wing packs because Ben Davies might be drafted in as the left centre-back. He's kind of filled there filled that role a few times over the last couple of seasons and seems to be less attacking than he used to be. So Reggion also at 5 million, six assists last season, but he was kind of a nearly man. His stats were quite good throughout the season and looked really attacking. And he's younger and he's going to be fitter than Doherty. So um, yeah, two good options in that kind of 5 million price bracket, which I think is quite a nice one. You've got other players at 5 million who could really, you know, perform like a 5.5 I think in these two if Nuno sorts out the defence like he did at Wolves not last season but the two seasons before that really strong back three defence with wing backs then that's where you want to go with this Spurs defence there's also like 4.5 options if you're a bit more budget and 4.5 is a popular price point every season and if Spurs play at the level of the team that they can be then a 4.5 from a a good defence you know you've got Rondon, um, you've got Eric Dyer, um, so options there. Midfield again, another bargain, a potential bargain. Um, it's Deli Ali. He's twenty-five now, about to kind of reach his his potential peak physically. Um, so I'm just going to read off his his scores in the past, the end of the season scores in the past: one six six, two two five, one seven five. And then it kind of drops down around the 100 mark and then it drops even further under Mourinho down to the 30 mark. So I don't think that we should take much from last season under Mourinho. I think Mourinho picked Deli Ali as his player that he was going to Luke Shaw. And, you know, the glimpses that you saw of Deli Ali, he didn't actually look that bad. I thought he looked quite good in the FA Cup. I mean, the opposition wasn't up to much, but I think... Yeah, he's playing in preseason. He's scoring in preseason. So 
I think it might be worth the risks. Spurs' fixtures aren't amazing, but if you're like me and you are... <laughs> you just find it impossible to keep any of the chips in your back pocket, especially the early wild card. Then uh, Tottenham have a nice run from game week two to four. Obviously they start off with Man City, so that's not great, but these guys are, are cheap players, especially kind of Doherty and Reguilon. You know, you can bench your 5.0 midfielder for one game, you know, Wolves away, Watford at home, Crystal Palace away. That's, I think that's quite nice. And, these are the kind of players that you have to get on early. I mean, I'm not saying bring all three of them into your team, but maybe one of them is worth the risk because Deli Ali has had seasons where he's scored 18 goals. You know, he's had seasons where he's been above uh, 11 assists for three seasons in a row. So he can really rack up those points and he might be really have a big motivation to prove something to the new manager and, and prove that he can potentially get back in the England team for the World Cup. So I think he's a really interesting one and a really cheap price. Um, Son, I think, is uh, a great price point as well. I think they're, they're, they've been locked in this phase where they, they can't rate Son as a big player because for so many seasons, he's either been injured or he's been at the Asia Cup or he's had military service. And this is his one full season last year where he actually played over 3,000 minutes. And he was in, you know, he was in loads of points. I think he was just three points off Salah at the end of season. Um, with like 228 points. So um, I think Son's price should be higher than 10 million. I think he's underpriced. I think he's potentially competing with you know, Salah and Mane, 2 million more. So yeah, I, I, the issue is obviously new manager, fixture's not amazing, but I think you can wait on Son. You can wait because you can go down from one of those bigger players and save yourself some money and split it somewhere else in your team. Um Obviously, the important thing is whether Kane stays or not because they have a great partnership. And if Kane does stay, he's not going to sulk. He's going to try and score goals. And he was, I would say, stats-wise, the best player in the league last season. So, yeah, another great option um, and a great captaincy option. So there you go. Any questions from you guys on Spurs? I have, uh, I have one thing for you. You've gone... You, I. Earlier on, you, you you made a sort of um, a point about the the back three releasing the the fullbacks. Um, last season, of course, Nuno one of his problems was that he didn't sort of manage to transition Wolves into a back four. Um, so he's been playing that for a season now, and the other sort of the, the reason he did that was because he was being asked to play more progressive football. So he obviously believes that progressive football means a back four and more attacking midfielders. Um, in the friendlies pre-season for Spurs, I know this because of our friend John, he's been playing a back four again. Oh, so yeah. you, I'm a little bit worried that um, Spurs are going to play a back four and, um, you know, not be able to do it very well. Well, I guess those guys are so cheap, the Doherty and Reguilon ones. Like, you can put them in and you can say, if, especially if it's someone like me who tends to work hard, at the very latest game week kind of four so you can hold on till those nice fixtures are gone and say okay you know they didn't they didn't play a back three but they're attacking fullbacks and Reguilon especially is probably going to be a, an assured starter whereas Doherty has a bit more competition potentially from Aurier um and if they're not then finally leave them whereas with Deli Ali I think whether they play a back four or whether he play a back three he could be a, a massive bargain at 6.5 you know that's not that much to gamble on and there's other players at that price bracket that you can move to quite easily so I think Deli Ali would be more worth the risk and less problem about the system yeah I just worry that Spurs aren't going to score the goals early doors um, I know they've got a bit of a tricky fixtures but uh, even if Kane stays he's, he's sort of demanding to leave so I don't think he's a type of player to sulk but he might be the type of player that's distracted certainly for the opening game so I definitely uh, well I think I'm personally going to stay away until I see what the actual team is because I mean I, I see your point about Reguillon and, and um, Doherty could become flying full backs they have some potentially bargain centre backs but They've got a lot of centre-backs and I don't know who the first choice ones are anymore under the new manager. So definitely quite difficult um, to pick that, to pick the starting team, I think, at the moment. I agree. I think less 
difficult to pick the starting fullbacks, especially Reguilón. Um, but I agree, maybe it's a watching brief, and you, if you early wild card, maybe they're they're a team that you think about, or when their fixtures turn, then you can bring them in. They're not going to go up that much in price, are they? Okay, next up is Andy. Andy, who do you want to talk about? I am going to talk about Leicester um, because I think they're a fascinating team this year. Um, they've they've really like bought well, I think, in the summer with um, with Pats and Daka and uh, Bubakari Samare, um, and that sort of adds some depth to a team that maybe lacked it a little bit last season. Um, but despite that, they still they're sort of like the teams above them are just so good they might not make it to fourth place again this season. But despite, even with that, their, their, their players seem to be very low priced. And I think that's because it's really not clear to us right now what their starting lineup is going to be. Um, they ended last season playing a 3-5-2, which allowed Vardy and Iheanacho to strike up a really great partnership, which was really, really good for Vardy because getting on, he's not able to run around like he used to, um, which was kind of facilitated by one of their star players, Harvey Barnes, being injured. He's now back. So are they going to continue playing a 3-5-2 or are they going to go back to their original formation? Um, if, if, it, if it is a 3-5-2, the player I would really pick out is um, Wesley Fofana, who played first team for most of last season. And it's only 4.5 million, which is a bargain price, if you ask me. Um, so either as a back four or as a back, back three, if, um, if Fofana plays, then I think you've got to have him. He's going to be one of those players that you just leave him in there and forget because he's, his value is so far below what he's actually worth. Um, further forward, if, uh, if, the, if the front two persists, then I would suspect that he'd start the season with Vardy Iheanacho because that worked so well last season. Um, Iheanacho is only 7.5 million. That's a full 3 million less than Jamie Vardy. And I wouldn't expect Iheanacho to do much worse than Vardy. could even be better. So Iheanacho seems like a really, really smart pick to me as well. Um, obviously, that, that may, may change as time goes on. Um, and then in the attacking midfield and sort of wide midfield roles, if if it does switch to a back four and let's say Fofana drops out, then maybe your Leicester pick might be Harvey Barnes because that would then liberate him at seven million. Um, and he's obviously a lot cheaper than some of the other players who will be playing at like top five teams and be one of the star attacking players. So and last player sorry, I almost, almost forgot is to mention Casper um, Schmeichel, who, uh, who Gary made a point of earlier um, at five million. First, first choice goalkeeper for the fifth best team in the league is a pretty good pick, I think. So um, he could be a really, really uh, undervalued player too. So what I think the uh, the key is with Leicester is to watch them for the first few weeks, and they have a really nice run from game week five through game week eleven. The only hard game they have in that is Man U game week eight. Around that they've got Brighton, Burnley, Crystal Palace, Brentford, Leeds, and uh, Arsenal. So um, they've got a pretty good run in that sort of. Uh, the, the second quarter of the season. And so I think the thing to do is to sort of uh, hold out until game week five. And then around that time is uh, obviously a, a prime wildcard time for some people. Might be a great time to put in some Leicester players once you know what their first team looks like. Yeah, that makes really good sense. And I agree, kind of a watching brief until then. What do you think about James Madison? Another player that's brought a tear to my eye as we're rumoured to be bidding 70 million for a, a guy who can't get over 10 goals or assists. Yeah, Madison's one of those players I really struggle with because he's, uh, despite, I don't think he's a very good player, but he obviously is a much better fantasy asset than he is a player. Um, so if the, the back four happens and it's a 4 2 3 1 formation, obviously that makes space for Madison in the number 10 role. If it's a 3 5 2, I think he's not going to play. So, again, one of those players that you want to watch out. And if he's playing and sort of returning points for the first four games, then maybe game week five, he could be a good option. Seven million is the price. Okay. Nice one. Back to you, Matt. Who's your next team? Uh, my next team is Chelsea, the Champions League winners. Uh, so, another intriguing team because they've just got so much depth. Uh, they've got well, they've got a cracking opening fixture against uh, Crystal Palace at home. So that's definitely tempting to get into your first day squad. Um, thereafter, they've got Arsenal away, theoretically difficult, uh, and Liverpool away. So 
not necessarily a classically great start and then they've got a couple of other tricky ones so maybe one to to wait on other than that first game um but if you look through the the pricing of the players um I think there's, there's a few tempters in there. So I think uh, start off Mason Mount seven and a half million. I think it was their top uh, t- top point scoring player last year, uh, and uh, he's yeah. I think that's quite a good price for the basically what's Chelsea's sort of like fulcrum type player that he's going to play almost most minutes. He gets forward and back. Uh, he's got goals and assists in him. He takes free kicks. Uh, I felt like they grew into the season, especially when Tuchel got appointed. And so uh, I think, what, what did he get last season? Just just looking it up. He got yeah six goals, seven assists last season. But I think he could definitely build on that because he's sort of a young player and now he's playing for a better manager for the whole season. Um, so I think he's a very good pick. I think the Germans, Havertz and Werner as well, are sort of ones definitely to watch. Uh, eight and a half million for Havertz. Uh, I think it's the better one. And nine million for Werner. I mean, we all laughed away at Werner how he kept missing those chances. Uh, but he is lightning quick, gets so many chances, and he wasn't always missing them when he played in Germany. Um, so I think there's definitely a possibility that he could start to get on a goal scoring run. And I think Havertz is a really clever player and could be one of the best players in the league. So uh, I think Havertz, Mount, Werner, uh, in a with Jorginho behind and Kante behind. I think they're just going to start dominating matches uh, and I reckon they could really get back up some goals eventually. Uh, the challenge of course is that they do have quite a lot of depth and I think uh, Tuchel will want to rotate a bit so it might be a bit of a difficult one where you end up picking players and finding out they're not in the, not on the team. Um, and then again at the back I think their wing backs Chilwell and Reese James are really really good. Uh, I think that's a really good combination maybe the best maybe the best in the league. Um, so I'd probably favour James. I think most people are going for Chilwell at the moment, but I think James is uh, re- he's half a million cheaper at five and a half million. Uh, gets forward, got a good cost on him. Um, I think he could be uh, could be a really good asset there. Um, and yeah, then the other the other defenders they've got all in the five and a half million, six million bracket. Uh, under a really with, with Tuchel and Jorginho ahead of them, they're going to rack up clean sheets. Uh, it might be one where you'd, again we've said this for a couple of teams where you sort of wait just for a little bit because their fixtures do turn in a few game weeks' time. But I think um, they're definitely going to be ones where I think throughout the season, I think most people have maybe two two Chelsea players in their squads. Do you think um, Havertz plays up front for Chelsea this season? I think the Champions League final, what they did that 3-4-3, I think he's that sort of player, and he did it for Germany as well. He sort of plays, he's technically up front, but actually just floating in between the lines and making clever runs. And I think that's what they'll they'll try and use him again for. So I think it's that player just pops up and scores. I love those sort of players because it's sort of game intelligence rather than uh, standout uh, sort of particular like pace or skills. So potentially worth the risk. Uh, 8.5. It's a tricky price point, isn't it? 8.5. Yeah, I think that... So what, I, what I'm tempted by uh, going for a couple of Chelsea players for my first first game week squad, partly because they've got Crystal Palace at home, who I think under Vieira uh, and a, a lot of players just getting over the hill could be a bit of a whipping boys sometimes uh, this season. And then if I'm planning to do an early wild card anyway, then I can always ship ship them out quite quickly for some of the difficult fixtures. But even if they are difficult fixtures, I think Chelsea could be pushing for the title this season. Um, and so therefore, maybe they'll ride out those tricky fixtures, beating the likes of Arsenal and Liverpool, um, uh, keeping clean sheets and maybe their star players scoring along the way. So I think there's one of those, they, they, you could get out of Chelsea some of those players that you just keep in and play every game week. Nice one. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I, based on Tuchel's start last season, that makes sense to me. I'm going to choose this moment to say my goodbyes, but I will see you all next week. Are you going to depart and watch the mighty Sheffield United? Uh, I certainly won't be watching Sheffield United. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Gary. Sheffield Wednesday. That yes. wasn't an intentional dig. <laughs> but I will be back soon with more pearls of wisdom. All right. Bye, guys. Okay, I'm going to jump in now with my next one, which is Villa. Um, so I, I kind of put Villa on a similar plane to Tottenham this season. 
in terms of price, not in terms of, you know, stability or momentum. I think from front to back, they've got a really strong spine and I think there are a lot of bargains in there. I think Martinez, my complete hero who left Arsenal after 10 years and has finally reached his dream, which is to be the starting goalkeeper for Argentina and winning the Copa America with them. <laughs> Some incredible sledging, apparently, during the penalties in the Copa America. Uh, just like a whole minute's worth of abuse for penalty takers, which um, I admire. Uh, <laughs> in a man. <laughs> um, and yeah, the opening fixtures, Watford away, Newcastle at home, Brentford at home, those are just lovely. The ownership, nearly 40% now because because of that huge score of 186 last season. I think he was something like 20 points away from any kind of close rivals in seconds. So I think he's one of those goalkeepers. He's one of the players I brought in at the end of last season when I was trying to catch Ben because I was like, he's a player you can bring in for, what, 5, 5.2 at the end of last season, maybe a little bit more. And he can get you, he's a goalkeeper who can get you 12 points in a game, basically. And that's quite rare. And that's, it's all often seems random, you know, you, you penalty save for a, a relocation threatened team and you get, suddenly you get a bumper 12 points, but Martinez seemed to do it kind of fairly consistently throughout the season without penalty saves, just through saves and clean sheets and getting three bonus and all that kind of stuff. So I do think he's worth 5.5. And if you brought him in and had a 4.0 next to him, you could just sit there all season and, and rack in the save points and, pick up the bonus and just be in love with this absolute hero in your goalkeeping position. But the problem is I did have him in my draft. He was in there raking up all the cash, but the problem is I think with COVID and going into the autumn, especially and with players being needing to isolate and all that kind of stuff, I think the strategy with keepers for me this season is probably going to be two 4.5s, which means I save 0.5 over having Martinez and a 4.0 and it also means if one of them at one club has to isolate it doesn't affect the other 4.5 at a different club that's one of my issues with Andy's although it's a short-term plan of having both keepers from Man United um I was thinking of doing that with Watford having two Watford keepers 4.5 and a 4.0 and saving the cash and then having a backup if one of them gets dropped but the problem is Goalkeepers, if they isolate, their close contacts are going to be the other goalkeepers at that club that they're training with. So that's why I'm not going with Martinez as much as it makes me weep and I may <laughs> live to regret it. I'm, I will live to regret it because he's going he's gonna to have huge ownership and he's going to get those 10, 12 pointers every now and then and you're going to see your rank drop. But I can't justify it at the moment. Maybe I'll change my mind. And then in defence, Matt Target, he was one of the top scoring defenders last season. His price has stayed down at five, five million, which I think when you compare him to some of the 5.5s is pretty generous pricing. Um, again, those first three, if you're an early wildcarder, those first three fixtures are pretty nice. And if you think early wildcard, it doesn't matter if I've got three Villa players, I, I don't have to worry about their nightmare run after game week three, which is Chelsea, Everton, Man United, Tottenham, Arsenal. Um, and also Villa were kind of the scourge of the bigger teams last season. So especially with a player like Martinez, you maybe don't have to worry about those fixtures so much. But yeah, Target would be my pick of the, the back four, which are all pretty much five million for a starting defender. Um, Grealish, will he stay? Will he go? Uh, if he stays, what an incredible option. Um, and 8 million is a really good price for him still. Um, I think last season he started at 7 million, which seems kind of crazy now, but it's not a huge jump, maybe because it wasn't a, a huge season for him uh, points-wise. Uh, minutes kind of limited by injury, but yeah, a great pick for a, a team that has huge momentum and is adding lots of quality in the transfer market as well. If he goes, then... El Ghazi would be a serious consideration for me because his points per game last season was second only to Grealish. He just loves to shoot. He's the penalty taker for Villa, I think, if he's on the pitch. Um, yeah, I, I, I love him as a player and he's dirt cheap at six million. So I like El Ghazi 
Um, and then Buendia, the new signing from Norwich, um, didn't do a huge amount with Norwich when they came up a couple of seasons ago. I think he only picked up about seven assists, maybe one goal. And he picked up a couple of red cards, I think, and generally looked like he wasn't uh, in a good headspace for the league. I mean, it's a difficult season for Norwich. But last season in the Championship, he kind of changed it up and pushed it up a level. 15 goals, 17 assists. So if you kind of take the rule of halves from the Championship, which seems to be a kind of average um, for players who come up, they kind of score half the goals most of the time and they um, they get half the assists. So that that would be what, like a, yeah, seven goal, uh, maybe eight assist season uh, for a 6.5 million. That's pretty good. And if Villas, if Grealish stays or even if he doesn't, he's playing, supplying Ollie Watkins, who seems to be on a kind of upward trajectory. Um, 7.5 million, I think, is again a really generous price. This is a guy who scored 168, 170 points basically last season. 14 goals, nine assists. You know, that's a cracking season. I'd expect more uh, an 8.5 8 for that kind of return. So he's a, a a sure starter. He's got a lot of ammunition behind him in Buendia, in um, Grealish if he stays, even if he doesn't. You know, there are other players that they're bringing in um, and other players that are there waiting in the wings. So, yeah, I, I think they are a great team to target for those first three fixtures. And even... The ones afterwards, I mean, it's not, you know, Man City away. Chelsea is tough. Everton might not be so tough. Man United and Tottenham, you just don't know. And then it goes back to green again. So I think there could be season keepers in there. What do you reckon, guys? I think it's I think a good... Right. Sorry, have, Matt? I think a lot depends on Grealish. Um, to be honest, if he stays, then I think they've got what looks like a really good squad that they've just built on. Um, and they could do exactly what they did last season and look really, really impressive, both defensively and, and in attack. Um, however, if he does leave, uh, then I do worry they're going to have a bit of like a, a, a ba well, a, a very different season for what they had last year. Um, and that would then mean the clean sheets disappear for Martinez and Target and Mings and co. Um, and equally, it would mean uh, yeah, I think if Greenish leaves, then players like Brundia and El Ghazi, for me, are less attractive because it means less possession and attacking threat for Aston Villa in the round. Um, and so I think a lot does depend on what happens to Greenish um, for me and whether, whether I pick uh, Aston Villa players to start the season. I think that's fair enough, yeah. I just I think, particularly in El Ghazi's case, El Ghazi's not going to be playing if Greenish stays. So... For me, if, if Grealish goes, then he's a player that I suddenly start to think about for a budget option who just shoots and takes penalties. Yeah, and I find Ollie Watkins is great, but he just he really annoys me. He just misses so many chances. <sighs> me and... too, me too. But this is one of the players that I think I, FPL-wise, I have to put that to the back of my mind because I was just looking at the stats. I was like, why did I hate him so much last season? He had a phenomenal season. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think the, the thing with Watkins is he um, he padded his stats a lot in the um, at the hat trick against Liverpool. He got a hat trick in another game, I think, as well, didn't he? So if he didn't have him for that week, then yeah. And it's good. Liverpool, like it's an unlikely one that you'd be yeah. picking him for. Yeah, maybe he's one of those players where he didn't deliver in the good fixtures, but then randomly did in the others, and that's why he annoyed us a little bit. Um, next up. Um, Andy, who are you going to finish with? I'm going to finish us off with Liverpool. Um, I've gone done this little alphabetical thing. I've gone less than Liverpool. So um, obviously Liverpool is the, uh, the big club that we haven't discussed yet. Um, and I think they're another one that's quite interesting because I think it's, it's, it's fairly sort of well accepted that last season was not representative of who Liverpool are. Um, they had obviously pretty significant injuries in one position. Um, but it wasn't like they had a, um, a sort of like throughout the team, everything went wrong, right? Um, Salah still got 231 points last season. He did really, really well. So um, this season, with them having signed Konate, it looks like they have um, solved the problem that they may have had this season. 
and you'd expect them to, to hit back and be, and be really good. The other really interesting thing about them is that very few of their players were involved in the Euros or the Olympics or any of the summer tournaments into the later stages. And so um, they could be really ready to come out of the blocks flying. Um, so you've got obviously a classic choice of Salah, Mane, Alexander-Arnold. Um, Firmino looks, again, massively overpriced, as he often is. Jotter at 7.5, very interesting too. Um, the really interesting stat that I see here as well is that Salah is selected by 48.6% of teams, but Mane only 3.4% of teams. So if Liverpool do look really, really good at the start of the season. They're presumably both going to score points. Um, but Salah, obviously already having been picked for half of the half of the game, is not going to go up. And Mane could be an interesting point, uh, like cost rise if everyone starts transferring in Mane and Salah. And that's right, uh, Mane and Salah. Then you, yeah, you could see earn some money on on Mane. Um, my team currently has Alexander Arnold and Salah in it, but I'm obviously thinking about that quite hard as time goes on. Um, I'm also going to be looking at their defenders because they have a, a normally a rock solid defence. And um, Van Dijk's obviously back, but no, it's not clear yet whether um, is going to be starting or whether he's going to be sort of having to earn his plays ahead of Gomez. Um, if Gomez starts the season as the first choice centre-back, then I think he's a great price point as well. Oh, I think we might have lost Andy. You still there, Matt? I am indeed, yeah. Um I I personally have Robertson um, instead of Alexander-Arnold in my team, but I think both of them are great picks, even at their expensive price, because so much of the play goes through them. And their defence will be so much better with Virgil van Dijk in it. At six and a half million, he's even quite tempting too. Um, I'm I'm personally staying clear of the Canate, Gomez, Matip, who's going to be the first choice starter battle, um, and just, just wait that one out. Um, and yeah, Salah... And Mane, you know, you're never going to particularly regret. Well, you regret that you always pick the wrong one, right? But um, you're always going to score the points. Um, and I think I'd slightly disagree with Andy. Um, I think Firmino could be an all right pick at nine million. Um, obviously, it tests the budget somewhat, but uh, he has I a knack of scoring the points. You, the only way of saying that statement now is to put him in your team. You're not allowed just to say, I think Firmino could justify his price without putting him in your first team game week one, sticking with him for 10 weeks. Yeah, I think it's partly because my current uh, drafts, I'm struggling to find the strikers that I'm really settled on and like. Uh, and yeah, he's maybe a little bit pricey to afford the big hitters elsewhere, but uh, he does seem to rack up the points somehow each season. Go for it, man. Do it. Prove, <laughs> prove everyone in FPL wrong. Right. Sell <laughs> Salah by Firmino. <laughs> Back over to you, Andy. Um, yeah, I'm not sorry. My, my computer ran out of battery, so that's why I, I randomly dropped then. Um, what what point did you lose me at? Did, did, did I get to say uh, Joe Gomez before I dropped? You did. You talked about Joe. Yeah. yeah so Joe Gomez was my last point that um, I think if he nails down that stuff, I think he could be a bargain. I'm really, I'm really interested in the triple up for Liverpool just because the fixtures at the start of the season are the best for one of the big teams for such a long time. And captaincy, obviously, I think that's why Salah is so highly owned. It's such good captaincy that first game week, Norwich away. You know, you could potentially potentially see a bloodbath. But I just, I love the idea of Yotta. I dallied with him last season. And got burnt when he got injured, but you know you can't predict that. But I just think he looks he looks so good for Liverpool last season when he first kind of joined, and his price hasn't been bumped up because of that injury and because he didn't get as many minutes um, as as a normal kind of seven point five. So I just like the triple triple up and a bit of like cover on the bench, and you know him being a piggy bank if he doesn't really start doesn't really play then i can switch him there's loads of other 74 7.5s that we've mentioned or below that i could switch him to do you think that's mad my thing with Jota is i just don't really understand the team that has him as a first choice starter in like are they going to mm. drop Firmino? are they going to play a 4-2-3-1 which would be a big big departure um, are they going to drop Mane? Like, what? How does he get into the team? Yeah, 
even if even if it's not as a first team starter, he seemed to get minutes in you know most games that he didn't start last season and looked good when he came on as a substitute. So that's kind of how I'm thinking of him. But I agree, he seemed to disrupt the balance slightly of the, that front three, didn't he? Yeah, and you're right. He, he got he got goals off the bench, right? So it's not like um, it's not. I can I can totally see the argument for him, um, but at the start the start of a new season, I think the the guiding principle for your first the, the, your team for the first week has to be players that you're pretty damn sure are going to start the games. Um, so I'm I'm not starting with him, but obviously if he if if you know the first couple of weeks he's playing instead of Firmino, and um, you know obviously you expect him to be scoring goals, and suddenly there'll be a pile on right because that price for for starting Liverpool striker would be insane. I I follow that theory as well. Most of my draft squad has um, has like sure starters in it, and I've made decisions where I've you know I haven't brought in Doherty because I think that's too much of a risk. Although I think it could be great, I'll wait. But I like taking a risk with one position in the squad and at not a huge price. And I think that seven point five, six point five kind of area could be where I take my one risk. Um, but we will reveal our our squads, our drafts, as we've tinkered away with them in next week's pod. Um, so you can be the judge of that, listeners. Um, I think that's it. It's just kind of a, a quick hour's chat about the teams we liked. I hope you like them too. Um, yeah, it just leaves me to say, um, follow us on Twitter if you like what we do. We're at FPLFFFanatics. And if you like the show, please rate and review us wherever you listen to us and matt thank you for your insight thank you and uh yeah good luck with uh, the drafting everyone and thank you andy yeah thank you very much uh, i also wish everybody luck with their uh, their team selection not too much luck though because i want to do better this season <laughs> <laughs> nice one see you guys